Gorgaka. It's the 8th of January, 2022. I've just chanted a very important sutta, <clears throat> the first uh, sermon that the Buddha gave, the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta. He taught this on what we mark as a Salaha Puja, and this first teaching that the five ascetics, led by Venerable Anya Kundanya, listened to, and their leader was able to receive the Dhamma through this teaching. And so following on from this, then the Buddha taught the other four in the group, and all of them reached stream entry. And then he taught the Anatalakana Sutta, the discourse on the characteristic of not-self, and all five attained to arahantship through that. So we all know the importance of this first sermon. It's something that we chant, we recite, and then something that we put into practice as well. Because as we're practicing, what we want is for there to be less suffering in our hearts. And the Buddha said that in order to gain that, we need to see the Dhamma. And the Dhamma is nature, nature which already exists. It's not that it appears anew. Whether a Buddha awakens in this world or not, nature is just this way. There's this arising, persisting and ceasing of materiality and mentality. But the Buddha was the first to discover this. That's why we call him the Samma Sambuddha, the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. And then he taught, and taught us to walk this path. And if we walk this path, then we will see the Dhamma. So in the beginning of our practice, um, then our minds are often very chaotic, and there's a lot of suffering that appears within them. And we're not able to find a way out of that. We're not able to control our minds. We want them to stop and to be still, but they just won't do that. Because the causes and conditions for them to proliferate like this, for them to be thinking on like this, is still there. And so this is why we need to train our minds. And we really need to be sincere in our intention in doing that, in this mental training, setting our hearts on developing mindfulness. So when we're under the instruction of a great teacher, we should follow and um, recite these meditation words, a Buddha, for example, and do that a lot. But perhaps we listen to their teachings and we think, well, we'll follow it, but only some of it. We'll meditate following their instructions, but just half-heartedly, just some of those instructions. And so... A clear knowledge doesn't arise within the hearts. But as we carry on meditating, carry on cultivating, then sometimes knowing does arise. And then we can, when we ask ourselves, well, why is it that I just allow my mind to go on thinking like this, to just carry on with this in a narrative and just goes on without stop? It doesn't bring me any benefit at all. And wouldn't it be better then to be staying with this meditation word? And so reasoning in this way, we come back to this word buddho, and we recite buddho, buddho, and do this a lot. And when we're doing work and duties, we can do that, be reciting buddho, 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 keeping this as the focal point of our minds. 
to not allow our minds to go thinking about other things. But for most practitioners, they're not really able to do this. They try and stay with Buddha and in no long time the mind just goes off somewhere else. It goes off thinking. And if that's the case, then we can contemplate into an aspect of the Dhamma and do this a lot. Such as this body. And see how this body is something that changes, that's inconstant. <clears throat> and if our samadhi is full enough, then when we contemplate into the nature of anicca, of this body, then we'll see the Dharma through that. But now we contemplate, but we don't see it clearly. We contemplate and we're just able to um, perceive some of it. And it's like um, the sun is going down and we can't see the things around us very clearly because there isn't so much light. But if we look during daytime, during the middle of the day, then we'll see things with great clarity. And so seeing the Dhamma is like this. If our samadhi is just a little amount, then when we contemplate, we won't gain a clear understanding of what it is that we're investigating into because our minds are murky, just like a murky window. We try and look out of it, but we don't see things clearly. And so even though there are things there, we're looking through this foggy window and there are obstructions there to our vision, to that clarity. And our minds are just this way as well. If the heart is murky, it has these sense impressions covering over it. Um, that's what creates this fogginess of heart. And so we don't see into the nature of arising, lasting and ceasing. We may listen to the Dhamma many, many times and understand what we're hearing well, but we don't understand it clearly because there isn't enough energy to our mindfulness, to our samadhi, and so wisdom doesn't arise. Actually, wisdom does come up, but it's just a small amount of wisdom. But if we have faith and this sincerity and focus, and then we will try to always be bringing up this quality of mindfulness, try to be mindful a lot, try to be um, cultivating this aspect of contemplation a lot, so that the mind does settle down, become still, its thinking gets less and less. And we'll gain the feeling that we need to get to this point when the thinking grows less. And if we can reach that, then we'll gain an understanding more easily. And this point is a very important point. And we teach our minds um, here. And at this point, we're not able, or we don't need to um, force the mind. Don't need to force ourselves to walk or to sit, to be developing mindfulness, to stay with Buddha or to contemplate the body. We don't even need to tell our minds to do that. If there's peace in our hearts, if there's a sense of happiness and inner contentment, then the mind will know by itself the danger of the sense impressions and it won't wish to attach to them. It sees the benefit of mindfulness, of cultivation, of contemplation. And it's able to do all these things of its own accord. And so we have mindfulness a lot. And then we look into 
the mind and into the body. And we can do this constantly. When the mind is peaceful, then we use that peace to contemplate the body and we'll gain a clear understanding of it. And we'll see that it really is something that's unattractive. It's a suba. You can see it as just being a bag of blood or a bag of urine or pus or a bag of bones. And then there's no beauty to it at all. And even if we put attractive, beautiful things against this body, then quickly they become disgusting because of all the things that seep out of the body. So we see how this body really isn't something beautiful. And if these are just the things that come out of the body, then what's it like inside the body? So we contemplate like this, the inside of the body, the outside of the body, and seeing the body, taking the mind to see the body, the still mind, this peaceful mind that's gathered into samadhi. You contemplate the body as just being a collection of elements of earth, water, fire and air. And we can see this clearly if our samadhi is well established. And here we gain the fruits of our practice, of our efforts, of training this mind. The fruits of this sincere intention and devotion to going to the morning chanting, the evening chanting, fulfilling our duties. It's all for getting to this point, getting the mind to become calm. But before we reach there, then we need to put up a fight. We need to go against the feelings um, in our mind. We need to wear away at the defilements, not following our moods, not following the sense impressions. But when we can sincerely do this, then we won't be following the feelings that the kilesas push up. We won't get tricked um, by these slippery thoughts that the kilesas push up. Because these thoughts, they're not ours. They're the thoughts of defilement. When we can contemplate into the body, then the mind becomes buoyant, bright, and feels at ease. Whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, and this is how it is, and we can see things clearly. And here there's a great and deep confidence that arises, because we see things for ourselves. We see into the nature of conventions, and through that then we realize liberation. There can be joy that comes up for three days and three nights, or seven days, seven nights. Or the mind can gather together and be very collected and firm, staying in states of samadhi for months at a time, experiencing this inner peace and coolness like this. So when we can meditate constantly in this way, then the mind does become peaceful, and we can contemplate into the body and into the mind itself, seeing the body as being just a body. And here we gain the feeling that we are destroying at least one kind of defilement, and the mind becomes empty, It abides above the world, which means that it abides above its attachments. But then we get the feeling, well, why isn't it that the mind just goes? Why can't it just um, find escape? Why can't it just be released? We contemplate and there's emptiness. There's no sense of self. In the mind, it's very light. It's uh, like it's floating. And it leaves 
lokya, these worldly things, and uh, turns to lokutara, um, being beyond the world, transcending the world. And it's like there's a creek, and we've got one foot on um, either bank. There's one foot on the left bank and one foot on the right bank. And so this is the level of, uh, of the mind when it's like this. The uh, gotara, bujita, and jnana. And when we see clearly like this, then we can ask ourselves, well, why isn't it that the mind just leaves? Why doesn't it just go? We read the scriptures, and we read about these states in the scriptures. And we think, well, we've seen already, and it's clear, that insight. And so why doesn't the mind just leave? And it's because our barami, spiritual virtues, are not yet full. It's like a person who wishes to stay in a certain place. And they look at that place, and they come back many, many times. And they think, well, this place looks really nice, I really like it here. But they haven't yet bought the property. But as they carry on looking, as they carry on feeling more and more accustomed to it, like they really like it, then eventually they get the feeling they, they really like the place. And so they buy it and they build a home there for them to stay in. So when we contemplate the body, and seeing the body as being empty, it's just the same. It's like the mind goes over to the other bank, the bank of Nibbana, and we really like that place. But it's not yet ready to stay there. And why is that? It's because our views aren't yet completely right. Our wisdom isn't yet full. So we need to carry on contemplating. Because the defilements are still there. There are many types that are left. So we develop more mindfulness and samadhi and then use that to contemplate. But we also know that this is the path that will bring the mind to peace. That when we contemplate the body, then the mind becomes empty like this, and things happen like this. But for people with a little amount of barami, they need to put in a lot of effort. And for myself, I had to carry on doing this for six months. The mind was very empty, it felt very light and peaceful. And so I contemplate each and every day until the mind eventually did reach a state of stillness, until those uh, vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada, um, the initial and sustained application of the mind, and joy, happiness, and one-placedness of mind. So we read the scriptures, and we know about these things from the scripture, how the mind comes together, how there are these five factors of uh, this peace and the samadhi. But when this really happens, when the mind gathers together in peace like this, then while that's happening, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what it is. We may just be following the breath and the mind becomes content and fills up and there's no thoughts there anymore. And it's like the pendulum of a grandfather clock which has just reached a state of stillness. It's not shaking or moving from left to right. And so the mind becomes still like this. 
And even if we wanted to think, it just won't think. And before, we wanted to stop thinking, and it won't stop. Uh, but now, in the state of stillness, it just won't think, even if we try to make it think. And perhaps it's the defilements that are afraid. They're afraid that they're gonna, there's going to be too much peace, too much stillness. So they try to make the mind think. And when we retract from the state of peace, then we contemplate into the body, we can see it clearly. And it's like the mind runs towards Nibbana. It runs out of this world. And so we carry on doing this, carry on practicing like this, day after day, month after month, until the mind gathers together. Until Marga, the path, gathers together. And we can see and understand clearly. So we know and um, read these things in the scriptures, but when they actually occur, they happen very quickly in a flash. We gain knowledge like this. Perhaps um, can envision or see just a flake of skin or a strand of hair fall. And it doesn't even have time to hit the floor. And we already gain knowledge. And when we gain this knowledge, then that is seeing the Dhamma. So for myself, um, I'd seen this before. But when this happened, then the, that insight, the clarity of that vision, was even greater than it was before. And no doubts were left. So seeing the Dhamma is like this. And so for all of us, we can see this as well. We can reach this point. And it happens little by little. But what we need to do is to develop our mindfulness and our samadhi and do this a lot so that we can gain this clarity of insight. And this isn't something that we need to doubt about. When the path factors all come together, in order for this to happen, we need to have barami, we need to have these spiritual virtues. We see that Venerable Anya Kondanya and the others of the five ascetics, they had been cultivating their Bhairami for a long time already, for many, many lives. And even if we look at it just in their last life, then Anya Kondanya, he had been cultivating samadhi from a very young age, hadn't he? It's not like he just waited until he was an old Brahman to meditate. That he'd been going at it for a long time, at least 50 years. As when the Buddha was born, he was 18 years old at that point. And so if you add 18 to 35, then that's over 50, 54, 55. So all it took was for him to listen to the Dhamma one time and he could see into that. And the second time, he could reach Arahantship. But it took a lot of developing Bhairami to reach that point. So for us, we need to put in our efforts to walk along this path that leads out of the world. Because if we don't do that, then we won't see the Dhamma. And if we don't see Dhamma, then we just don't know how much longer we're going to be caught. It just goes on and on. The cycle of birth and death. And how long are we going to stay stuck in this cycle for? We die from this life, and then we get born into another life, 
then another life, and another life, and it just goes on and on for an extremely long time, and constantly suffering along the way. And this is something that's fearful. So may you all set your hearts on cultivating a lot of mindfulness, and then bringing the mind to contemplate into the body and into the heart, in order to gain a clarity of understanding. And for us, we've all sacrificed a lot already. We've set our hearts on this already, both the laity and the monks. We're people who are heedful. So we should take this for real. And if we do that, then we'll get real results. The Buddha was just the one who pointed the way. He just told us. And if we don't do it, if we don't do this practice, then we won't gain from it. And just like if there's food, but we don't eat it, then we're not going to get full. Even though it may be very delicious, we don't know anything about it. We're clueless. So we need to set our hearts on this practice, in walking meditation, sitting meditation, really being devoted to our meditation words and trying to keep all the aspects of the, the duties and the routine of the monastery well. It's like we start chanting at 7.15. Really, we should all come and sit beforehand. Those people who are intelligent, they'll come and sit at 6.30 or 6.40, at least 30 minutes before the chanting starts. We can do walking meditation at that time. And so we have time during this period, and this is time for ourselves. So we should use that well. The bell rings at 6.30, and we should put down whatever we're engaged in, and get up before get up here before our teacher does. <clears throat> Sit in meditation first, before the chanting, and training ourselves like this. To not be people who are full of trickery and deceit, because it's really just the defilements that are trying to trick us. So by 7.05 we should all be sitting here, and those who are intelligent will be sitting before them, gaining profits for themselves. And so we shouldn't just allow ourselves to be late, but rather try and come on time. And so may you set your hearts on this. <clears throat>